All righty. Well, good morning again. Uh, we are in, I don't know, I've lost count how many weeks of church words. Uh, we've been working through these words that we kind of use on a consistent basis as a church or you hear in a Christian community. Sometimes we don't pause and define what they mean. And we're going to continue to talk about that today. But uh, this one is one that I think is, uh, in my mind, maybe something we need to focus a little bit more in on. And we'll talk about why that is. But Part of the reason is I've begun, or I have for years now, begin to see this disconnect in the church or in Christianity in America over the past few years. And the reason I say that is, is over the past about 40 years in church, in, in, in the American church, we have seen church attendance, uh, religious affiliation, the, the spiritual health of our country decline at a pretty significant pace. COVID kind of sped things up, but we already knew we were going the direction we were already going. But at the same time, we've also had access to some of the best Christian curriculum really that's ever been created. We've had access to more curriculum. We've had more Christian music out on the radio. We've had more Bibles in our hands. Like how many different versions of the Bible can you have in your pocket at one time? We've had access to great ministries like youth ministries and kids ministries. We've seen the rise of very specific pastors in churches for the purpose of seeing the, the gospel of Jesus and the growth of the Christian happen. And I began to try to understand why is it that on one side we have access to more quality curriculum and music and ministries but at the same time, we've seen a rapid decline in the disciples. And so we could easily look around and we could say, well, you know, culture has changed, right? Culture has changed, and that's because, you know, culture has shifted, and therefore there's a problem. Or we could look at the school system, and we could just blame it on the school system and say, this is what they're doing to our kids. But I think in all reality, we have to pause. We have to look at ourselves for a little bit. You see, over the past however many years, we've been reading books as pastors, and we've been looking at church growth metrics, and we've watched pastor after pastor teach about how churches grow. We've been equipped to teach classes, to deliver dynamic messages, to write books, to do weddings, to do funerals, and all the while missing one key component of the faith and of the church. And so while we've done that, what we've ended up doing is creating really, really, really good churchgoers. We've gotten really good at making people who are really good at going to church. And I want to confess something to you guys, and this may be a little bit too much for you to, to hear, but I've had this realization recently that I could be a pastor, I could go through my week, I could fill it with meetings, I could do all the things that need to get done in a week just so that we could have services on Sunday, I could write a research paper and call it a sermon, I could go through all those things and never truly follow Jesus. And in my experience with celebrity pastors, with personal friends, that disconnect can fracture churches, can fracture marriages, can fracture faith. And so where is the problem? And I know what you're thinking, Kyle. 
That's a lot of doom and gloom to start a sermon with. Where, where are we going with this? And what I really want you to hear is that we need to do something a little bit different. And by doing it a little bit different, I think we will get back to what the root of what the original problem is. And the original problem goes back to not new methods, not new ministers, not new curriculum, not new programs, but going back to what Jesus called us to be at the beginning, and that is disciples. And if we're going to be disciples and we're going to lead the church the way the church needs to be led away from this cultural Christianity that makes us really good churchgoers, that means we're going to have to focus our church around one thing, and that is discipleship. And so what is discipleship? You ready? This is my profound answer of the day for you. Discipleship is the act of being a disciple. Boom. Right? It's the act of being a disciple. And so as a church, if we are going to seek discipleship, then we're going to have to get really good, or we're going to have to focus our attention. We're going to have to rearrange some of the practices that we have around making disciples. But then you have to ask the question, obviously, well, what's a disciple, right? And so we'll talk about that a little bit today. The idea of discipleship was part of the culture to which Jesus grew up in. They had these uh, people called rabbis, and rabbis studied the Old Testament, they studied the Torah, and they lived according to the commands that they believed the Torah had laid out for them. In fact, they created even more commands to make sure that they wouldn't break the original commands, and then they made more commands to make sure they didn't break the other commands that they created in order to break the other commands. Got really confusing. And so what they would do is they would live this life of devotion to God, and they would bring along, they would find students who they thought showed a lot of promise, and they would bring them up to be disciples with them. And what would happen is, is over time, they would learn to act and think like their rabbi. They weren't just there to learn from their rabbi. They were there to learn how to think like their rabbi, how to live like their rabbi. And so their lives closely matched their rabbis. In fact, they were supposed to follow their rabbi around. They never walked in front of their rabbi. They actually followed behind their rabbi. And there's this common phrase of being covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? Because they didn't have concrete like we do. Their roads were dust. And so as they walked along, the dust from the rabbi would land on them. And so being a disciple meant that you devoted your life to acting and living exactly like a rabbi. There is a commentator that I was reading. He's got a book uh, about uh, discipleship in the New Testament. His name is Hans Clavin. Totally butchered that. I'm sorry. But he says this. The highest hope of a student in a rabbinic school was to become a rabbi like his own teacher. The rabbis tried to educate disciples that in their turn might become rabbis and pass on the traditions to new disciples who could become teachers for still a new generation. This was the basic pattern for the Jewish rabbinic tradition. It was a great honor to become a rabbi, and the position as a disciple of a famous rabbi gave the possibility to advance to be a famous rabbi yourself. So you see how this method of following your rabbi, becoming a rabbi, getting disciples, them following you, becoming the rabbi, and it just cycled over and over and over and over again. And that's how the rabbinic world worked. And so this word disciple is the Greek word mathetes. 
And it's used of a person who follows after and seeks to learn from another. So the goal of a disciple in Jesus's day was not simply to gather the information that your rabbi had for you, but it was to follow them around, to watch how they interacted with people, to see their methods of how they studied the Torah so that you would see the world the way your rabbi saw the world, that you would act in a way that your rabbi acted. And so if you watched your rabbi respond in a way to a person because of a problem, you in turn would react the same way as your rabbi to that same problem. So that you one day could grow up and you become your own rabbi, right? You would become the rabbi and you could then train other people to be a rabbi also. When Jesus gathered his disciples, he not only taught them information, but he he communicated with them in ways that they began to act and think and talk and do as their rabbi did. And their hope was that one day they would become like their rabbi. That's what the, the discipleship world meant. And the word, word disciple, I know what you're thinking is like, yeah, but that's just those 12, right? That's not, that's not all of us. That's just the 12. But the word disciple is used many times in the New Testament to refer to all people who follow Jesus. In fact, in Luke 19.37, it says, as he was drawing near Jesus, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen the whole multitude of his disciples. That means there were more than just the 12. Right? We, we, we know that there's probably about 120 or so people who would follow Jesus around as well, and they were referred to as disciples also. Now, it wasn't common for a rabbi to have 120 disciples. Right? That, that's a lot of disciples. But yet committing yourself to the work of your rabbi was prestigious for anyone. In fact, most of the disciples had probably been looked over when they were young. That a rabbi didn't think they were good enough, smart enough. They didn't have the innate abilities inside of them to be a rabbi. And so they just said, you know what, go, go be a fisherman. Go be something else. And yet Jesus saw people. He recognized them and he valued them, not because of what they brought to the table, but because who they were images of the creator God. And he drew them into this relationship with him. It's not really until Acts 11 where the disciples are called Christians for the first time. They're not called Christians until Acts, uh, Acts 11. And then in John 9, it's really interesting that it's very important who your rabbi is. Because in John 9, there's a man who's born blind. And there's this whole conversation about, was it his sin or his parents' sin? And he, he gets... His, his eyes are, it says his eyes are loose, right? He, he can see again, and they call him in to the Pharisees, and they say, like, what happened? Tell us the story. He tells them the story, and they're like, no, that can't be right. Now, Jesus couldn't have done that. It can't be right. And they're interrogating him as to what happened, and finally he says this, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Right? Like, That's a slur. I don't know if you catch that, because it says this, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Who you were a disciple of mattered in that day. And so if you were a disciple of Jesus, maybe you were looked at as, that's the guy that just, he lets anybody. He takes the ones who couldn't cut it elsewhere. Pause for a moment and say, 
thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I often don't feel like I could make it elsewhere. You see, these Pharisees were concerned that they were being called disciples of Jesus, and they fought it. And they wanted to make sure they knew they are not the disciples of Jesus. See, following your rabbi was an important part of their culture and of the Jewish faith. And so when Jesus calls his disciples early on in the book of Matthew, it's pretty significant. R.T. France, a commentator, says this. He says, it's a, it is significant that his first recorded action as a minister, as a, a Messiah, is to gather a group of followers who will commit themselves to the total change of lifestyle, which involves them in joining Jesus as his essential support group for the whole period of his public ministry. I don't think they mean support group in the same way you and I think support group, but you get the idea. That it's significant that as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, the first thing he does is he goes and he calls people to follow him. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? And over the next year, you're going to hear this, this definition so much, you're going to hate me, I promise. Because I believe if there is one thing we can do well as a church for the next foreseeable future, discipleship is the thing. And so we need a clear understanding of what a disciple is in order that we understand how we should function in the church. And so here we go. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. You recognize all of those are present tense, right? Well, let me rephrase that. They're all not past tense. They're all not used to happen, right? I became a disciple and now I'm good. They are a continual thing that is going on, right? You are following Jesus. You are being changed. You are committed to you see, being a disciple doesn't mean you were dunked when you were a kid and now you're just showing up. Being disciple means you are leaning in and you are diving in to being changed and transformed by your rabbi. Right? To, to following him where he takes you, no matter if it's to the ends of the earth or it's to your workplace or your family. It means leaning in to some of the idols you still have rooted in your heart and being changed by them. And it means engaging in the mission of God to the world, which means there are disciples in your family, in your communities, in your schools, in your workplaces, in your everywhere who need to follow Jesus as well. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, it's kind of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He uh, was born, you know, and then the wise men came and all that fun stuff happened. Uh, you know, you guys know there's more than three wise men, right? Look it up. Just kidding. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, it doesn't say there was exactly three. Anyways, sidebar. Right, so Jesus, wise men come, all that stuff happens. He grows up, right? And then when he grows up, he begins his earthly ministry because John the Baptist sees him walking along and he's like, hey, everyone, there's Jesus. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is like, John, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, no, that's weird. 
how about you baptize me again? And John, Jesus is like, no, you have to do this. And so Jesus gets baptized by John. That's the like Trinity moment where like God speaks from heaven, the dove descends. You guys remember all this? We talked about this a while back. Please nod your heads yes, or you've just been ignoring me. Right, all that happens. And then immediately he gets baptized. And what does he do? He gets sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Right? Okay, makes sense. But after he successfully doesn't give in to any of Satan's ploys, he comes back and he begins his ministry by announcing the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of heaven has come, and he begins uh, to announce that his arrival means the, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are coming true. And the first thing he does here is he calls his disciples. So in, in uh, Matthew 4, verse 18, it says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Notice what happened there. Jesus is walking along, and I'm sure he's thinking to himself, you know, I've got a couple, I've got to start developing my team of disciples, my support group, right? I've got to develop this team of disciples. And, and he's walking along and he sees two fishermen. And he simply just says, hey, come follow me. Now, what I know about God and what I know about salvation, what I know about faith is that God calls and maybe you didn't have a moment like this where you're fishing and God calls with an audible voice, hey, I want, to, I want you to follow me. Maybe, maybe that didn't happen. But I do know that at some point in your life, someone stepped in and communicated faith to you, communicated the gospel to you. And maybe someone did it a long time ago. Maybe it was your parents or a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a, a preacher at a camp, or, or maybe it was later on where you heard a sermon and you felt like God was speaking to you. You see, what I know about God is he uses people to communicate his gospel. And that is how God calls people today. You are a product of someone listening to the call of God and calling you to do the same. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He calls these men. He calls them, and he says, he says, come and follow me. Think about that. These two men had lives. Right? They, had fisher, they, they were fishermen. They had jobs. Right? They produced for their families, if, if they had families. or they, they had responsibilities that were given to them. And so Jesus comes, and he says, follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets, and they come, and they follow him. You see, following Jesus means you have to get out of the boat. You cannot follow Jesus from the boat. When Jesus calls you to follow him, you have to pause and say, I'm willing to give up everything for this. You lay aside any ability to produce on your own, and you allow Jesus to produce for you. Have you ever paused and asked that question before? Have you ever paused and said, God, do you want me to give up my job to follow you? Do you want me to give up my training and my source of income for my family to follow you? 
I'm not saying you need to do this, and I'm not saying that, you know, serving God in some sort of vocational ministry is any higher calling. I, I promise it is not. But what we have to do as followers of Jesus is to at least pause and ask the question, God, are you calling me to follow you and be a missionary in a different context, in a different culture, and across the world? And I got to sit down over FaceTime with a couple of our missionaries in Romania hear the struggles of what it is like doing life in a foreign country, sharing the gospel with people who don't want to hear it. We got to release a podcast this week about one of our friends who does work uh, serving uh, communities in North Africa and mobilizing uh, missionaries to go to Muslim countries. Have you ever stopped for a moment and asked God, are you calling me to something like this? You ever stopped and paused and asked God, God, are you calling me to a life of ministry, a vocational ministry, where, where you are now supported fully by the funds of the people in your church or the people you've raised support with? Maybe God is calling you to reorient the way you see your job and say, God, you have placed me in this workplace in this vocation, because I have a unique ability to make disciples here. And I'm not saying you need to throw your life into chaos right now, but what I am asking you to do is if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you at least have to ask the question. Because following Jesus means you have to get out of the boat. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, not one day a week, not a day and a half a week, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. And so you have to ask the question, Jesus, what does it mean for me to follow you? What does it mean for me to follow you? And as we ask those questions, we realize that our motives and our attitudes and our emotions and our idols begin to be changed. They begin to change in significant ways. You know, we kind of have settled into this thing as pastors, and I confess I'm part of the problem. I'm working on it. I have a support group. We've developed this system that says we can program discipleship through really good teaching, really good classes, and keeping everyone at an arm's length away. But there's a reason why we invest our finances in organizations like Galveston Urban Ministries and Family Promise and Interfaith Caring Ministries because we believe the best way people can handle dealing with brokenness in their lives is through relationships. We believe that relationships are the key factor in helping people come out of brokenness that they've experienced in their lives. And if we believe it helps people who might find themselves in poverty, how much more do the people of God need relationships to grow in their faith? relationships. We know that real, real, real transformation happens in the context of community. This is why Jesus didn't call them to stay at a distance, but he brought them in close. This is why Jesus preached differently to his disciples than he did to the, to the masses. This is why Jesus took the three up onto the mountaintop and let them experience uh, this beautiful picture of the transfiguration. Because Jesus valued relationships. He valued human beings. And programs don't value 
people, people value people. This, this group that I'm in has this kind of saying that's from this ancient rabbi, and he says, how can you know how to love me if you don't know how to hurt me? If we shut people off, if we close them off to our wounds, they will never actually learn how to love you. And my fear is that we've created systems within our church to keep people at an arm's length, and what we've ended up doing is develop better systems of making really good church members. And all the while, we've missed the calling that Jesus gave us when he left earth to go and make disciples. Real transformation happens in the context of community. And when we understand that and we call people into deeper levels of discipleship, Jesus shifts this view of rabbis. He does this in Matthew 23. He's talking to the disciples about the way the rabbis act. And he says this. He says, they, speaking of the Pharisees, do all their deeds to be seen by others. They do all their, I I learned this earlier, uh, phylacteries, maybe, sure, whatever it means, right? It's these little boxes they carried around. It's kind of weird, but that's what they did. Uh, They make them broad and their their fringes long, right? They want to show you how well they follow God. They love the place of honor at feast and not to be, and they, and they, the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They love being a rabbi. They love people coming to them and giving them things and giving them places of honor because of the authority they have as a rabbi. But he says, but you are not to be called rabbis for you have one teacher and you are all brothers And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus takes the rabbinic culture and flips it on his head. And he says, when you're a disciple of me, you are no longer going to be calling people disciples of you, but you are going to be called people to be disciples of me. See, here's the tough part of this last equation is is that a disciple of Jesus is one who's committed to the work of God. That means a disciple makes disciples. A disciple who refuses to make disciples is really no disciple at all. I mean, look back at this, right? A, A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. What does it say? He calls them. He says, come and follow me, and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. In the calling that Jesus gave the first disciples was the calling to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. And so we as church people, as disciples of God, are called to make disciples as well. You know, I'm convinced But if I can spend the next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, I'm just kidding, 30 years, however long God gives me the ability to serve the church and be alive, I'm, I'm convinced that if I can spend the remainder of my days doing nothing else but making disciples, I will feel like at the end of my life, I was faithful to the calling that God placed upon me. 
I don't need sermons. I don't need really good budgets. I don't need a church development like growth fund. I don't need any of that. I need to be a pastor who's committed to the work of making disciples and encouraging the church to go out and do the same. Because this is the calling that God has placed upon us. I can retire a faithful minister to the word of God if disciples are made. And so for the next year, we are going to dive deep into disciple making. We're going to hear this phrase over and over again. A person who is following Jesus, changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. And so how do we do that? Well, I'd love to give you a three-step program about how you can get involved in discipleship in our church. But once again, that's a program. And maybe one day we'll have more clarity to how to do that. But, but here's what I need you to understand. You have to lean into relationships. You have to lean in to relationships at the beginning. You have to be willing to share the things that hurt you. You have to be willing to sit down across the table with someone and have a meal and talk about what God is doing in places you're struggling. You have to be willing to reach out and say, I can't do this alone. This is a lie that I feel like we've begun to believe as American Christians is the Christian life is meant to be mostly done by myself. Being a disciple means you're connected to your rabbi, connected to your other disciples. So my question is, is how are we as a church going to lean in to being a disciple? And maybe right now in your mind, you're thinking about someone in your life who you need to just sit down with and talk about life. Maybe you need to say, hey, would you be okay if maybe once a week we got together and just read the Bible? We don't have to talk about anything specific. Let's just read the Bible together. Pray together. Maybe, maybe your start is simply identifying someone in our church who you understand needs to be discipled and simply begin to pray for ways for you to disciple them. But we are called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. We do that in our homes, but we do that as a church family as well. Maybe you have no idea what that looks like. And so right now, you just feel like you have a desire to be part of this, but you don't know what that's going to be. And so on the card in the back of our seats or right next to you, I just encourage you to pull it out, write your name on the top of it. If you, if you haven't given us your email address, check the box that simply just says, I want to grow in my faith. Check that box. We're going to work through ways over the next few weeks and few months to try to understand what it means to make disciples. But we will not be faithful to the calling that God has placed and the mission of God in our church if we do not commit to this. We won't. If we want to see our culture transformed, if we want to see our schools transformed, if we want to see us turn back the tide of these statistics of American Christianity, it starts not with better curriculum or better pastors. It starts with followers of Jesus committed to the work of Jesus. Making disciples who make disciples make disciples. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, 
being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. Herman, you want to come up and share this? Um, I am so happy in my, I'm so happy in my spirit because um, Pastor Kyle is my brother and Pastor Kyle is also bold and courageous. When I read those words in scripture to Joshua, then I see this man here being exactly that way. He's calling us to be who we are and I'm so tired of not being who I am. So I accept the challenge to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm standing with him because God told me to stand where he wants me to stand. And Pastor Kyle is also asking you to do the same thing. And I don't get to look at the world and say how bad it is. I get to look at Jesus and show the world how good he is. So I would just accept, and I'm telling you, to do exactly what you asked me to do, to be a disciple of Jesus wherever I go. Would you pray for us? Yes. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. He is the foundation of all of who we are. Father, without him, we would be nothing. And every day he gives us life to be something. So Father, I ask that you would help us deepen our spirits to open our eyes to see the truth of who you really are and then live out that with your spirit and your might and your power and your glory. For we do love you. And in our love, we ask that you would help us to demonstrate that. We thank you. We ask in the power and name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.